Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 15, chapter 25, or chapter 15, excuse me, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 25. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 25. Amen. And when you have it, won't you say, I got it? Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, now his older son was in the field, and when he came approach and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And one of the servants... And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, but he became angry and wasn't willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you. And you and have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him and said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead And has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Amen. Verse 31 says again, he said to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Amen. Uh, I want to preach for a little while, uh, using as a subject, very short while, uh, as a subject, how to ruin a house party. Amen. How to ruin a house party. God, thank you. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. How to ruin a house party. Uh, I've been black, may not uh, know it or not, but may know it or not, but I've been black my whole life. And uh, after several decades of being black, I've realized that I've developed a condition. And that condition is uh, BGPTSD. BGPTSD, otherwise known as Black Gathering Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. Yeah. Um, and the reason why I've developed this condition is because over the course of my life and attending black gatherings, I've found out that it does not matter how good the mac and cheese is, the candy yams are, the collard greens may be. Doesn't matter how well Uncle threw down on the barbecue grill. Doesn't matter how good the spades game, the dominoes game is. Doesn't matter how much fun we're having. I've learned that most of the time, if you get enough of us together, at some point, somebody is going to ruin the party. <laughs> 
somebody's going to mess up the vibe. Somebody's going to cause some drama. Somebody's going to make it awkward. And because of that, uh, I find myself not really wanting to go to or attend big gatherings with a bunch of our people because I know that somehow or another somebody will ruin the party and you may not have BGPTSD like me but you've learned that it's hard to have a celebration when you have people around that are intent on having a bad time when everybody else wants to have a good time. When you have people around that want to sit and sulk and be sad and somber when everyone else is trying to celebrate, it will ruin your party. As a matter of fact, many of us uh, have issues now because we've celebrated others, but when it was our time to be celebrated, we didn't have anyone to celebrate us. We uh, pumped everyone up. We pumped everyone's ego up. We pushed them forward. We celebrated them. We were at their party having a good time, but when it was time for us to be promoted, time for us to be celebrated, time for us to have our party. We had people around us who took away from the celebration because they didn't want to see us celebrated. And the reality is when people are around you that should be happy for you, but they're not happy for you, it will mess up your desire to celebrate. We know it to be true. You got people who you supported, who you know should be there for you in your moment. But when your moment comes and you're looking for in encouragement or for celebration or for affirmation or for somebody to tell you, man, you did a good job. Girl, you knocked that out of the park. You can't find people in your life to celebrate with you and it will mess up the party that you're trying to have because the truth of the matter is even though we can celebrate ourselves and even though we can be happy by ourselves and we should be able to find happiness apart from other people God has created us to live in community with others and that means that on the inside we do want people to celebrate us doesn't matter how emotionally strong or mentally mentally stable you appear to be, doesn't matter uh, uh, how, uh, how much security you have in and of yourself, at some point you're going to want someone to celebrate you. And nothing deflates you, depresses you, takes the wind out of your sails like when you have your moment to be celebrated and the people around that should be happy for you are not happy for you. And then like and, and likewise, as we approach this season of homecoming, as we're in, rather, this season of homecoming, and we are uh, beckoning for all of God's prodigal children to return back to the house of God and re-engage in the house of God and come back to corporate worship, we have to understand that there is something on the inside of us that when people who have been gone begin to come back, we don't want to celebrate them. We want to criticize and chastise and judge them for being gone instead of welcoming them like the Father is welcoming them. And this is what we have to understand. God's true sons and daughters should display rejoicing and not resentment when God's prodigal children come back home. God's children, if you really belong to God, you should celebrate when people come back to God. And the problem is the, the, the reason why many of us are not able to celebrate what God is doing in the life of someone else is because we're ignorant to what God is doing in our own lives. 
Yeah, yeah, we can't celebrate what God is doing for someone else because we're too busy looking at them instead of looking at our own lives and finding a reason to rejoice. And God's children can ruin God's homecoming party by choosing not to celebrate with the Father over who he has redeemed. When God throws a party for lost people, we don't have the right to look at them upside their head, to interrogate them, to criticize them, to ask them where they've been. We don't have the right to do any of that. When God says, welcome them home with celebration, we have a responsibility to do what God says. And this is the lesson of our text. The Bible tells us, uh, by way of context, we've been walking through the story of the prodigal son uh, for the last several weeks, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. There was there were two brothers there was an older brother and a younger brother the younger brother was a little bit arrogant and so he asked for his inheritance early daddy gives him his inheritance and the Bible says that he takes that inheritance to a faraway land wastes all his money living crazy and then comes to his senses and comes back to the father's house. Yeah, there's a lot of things that happened before he got back, but that's the gist of the story, that he lost his way, he came back, and check this out, when he came back, the father did not repulse him, but the father received him. Uh, he made mistakes, he wandered off, he did some things he shouldn't have done, but instead of interrogating him when he got back, the Bible says that the father welcomes him with open arms, reinstates him to a place of sonship, and then if that wasn't enough, the Bible says, daddy says, Go ahead and start a party up because my son that was lost has been found. And the Bible tells us that when we get to this particular verse, verse 25, that the party is in full swing. The music is going. People are dancing. Food is cooking. It's a regular family reunion because this lost younger son uh, has come home. But the Bible tells us that this is not just a story, Krishana, about one son. It's a story about two sons. So while everyone is in the house celebrating the younger son, the Bible says that the older son is outside and he hears the sound of music and dancing. And he asks one of the servants, hold up, uh, I've been living here all of my life. We ain't never got down like this before. What's going on? And the Bible says that the servant, verse 26, tells uh, the older brother that your brother who was lost has come back and your father has called a celebration. And the Bible says that this son this, this son, this son gets upset with his father because uh, he's throwing a party for his little brother. But this is what we have to understand, beloved. As I told you before, this is not just the story of one son. This is the story of two sons. And if you're going to understand the story, you've got to look at the son's condition. Uh, the son's condition. First of all, the son is lost. Yeah, that word prodigal, prodigal, it literally means lost. Uh, and we call this the story of the prodigal son when in actuality it should be the prodigal sons because the story of this text is about two lost boys. And the first boy is easy to locate because he is lost because he departed from the father's house. That means that he is lost, check this out, locationally. He is locationally lost, right? Uh, but the older brother remained at the father's house but while he remained at the father's house he had unresolved issues with the father and because he did not address the issues that he had with the father he was in the right location but he was lost relationally it is possible to be right locationally and lost 
relationally. And the truth of the matter is, it's easy to pretend that we're not lost when we're lost relationally because we're in the right place. Because your location is what's visible. Okay, let me help you. It's easy to act like you're not lost because you're coming to church. It's easy to act like you're not lost because you're putting your money in the right location. You're a tither. It's easy to pretend like you're not lost when you're doing all the things, especially in this season when many people aren't doing these things. It's easy to beat yourself on the chest and pat yourself on the back and act like you're a good Christian because you're in the right location. But eventually God will allow life to show you that even though you're in the right location, you're in the wrong place relationally. And because you're lost relationally, I've got to expose your lostness. Life has a way of showing you that you're lost. How does God allow life to show you that you're lost? At some point, God is going to cause you to come up against, to run right into, to have to confront the area of your life where you are most frustrated with God. Yeah, at some point, God is going to cause you to have to confront the area of your life where you are most frustrated with him. Because he says it's not enough for you to be in the right location if you have the wrong relationship. If you don't have the right relationship, doesn't matter how close to me positionally you are, it'll never ever be right. And the truth of the matter is many of us would rather change location than to, pair, to repair relationships. Because changing location is easier than actually confronting the issue that created a breach in a relationship. Okay, y'all ain't going to say nothing, but many of us, uh, our, our, our policy on dealing with difficult conversations is avoidance. Well, dealing with difficult issues, we avoid them until we can't avoid them any longer. And then they come to a head, and then all of a sudden it's an emergency because we have not addressed it early. That's why the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath or what? What? Give place to the devil because the devil is able to infiltrate in the void that is created by inconsistent communication about issues. When you do not talk about an issue, it becomes frustration. And God says, I'm not calling you, calling you to change your location. God help me. See, many of us say, okay, well, if both of them were lost, uh, then I might as well uh, be like the younger son and change my location. Then if I'm lost while I'm here and I'm lost when I'm out there. No, the devil is a liar. You got to change and fix relationship so that you'll be able to benefit from being in the right location. The older son is lost. That is his condition. Uh, but not only is the older son lost, we got to see the cause of his condition. Uh, the son is lost because he's frustrated with his father. Yeah. Uh, he's frustrated with his father. How do we know he's frustrated with his father? Verse 28 says it. But he became angry and was unwilling to go in. We know the son is frustrated because the father is calling him inside to the party. But he's determined to stay outside. That's how we know he's frustrated with the father. His disobedience to the father's invitation to the party lets us know that he is frustrated with his father. And many of us, if we would be honest, we, 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 we have feelings and questions and attitudes uh, that we have not addressed with God. And because we've not addressed those things with God, we've allowed them to fester. And when they've festered, they've turned into frustration. Yeah. 
Yeah, we have struggles in life. We have questions. We got issues that we're trying to deal with, demons that we're trying to face and confront and cast out of our lives. But we can't do it uh, because uh, we've allowed these frustrations to fester. And there's a relational void now placed between us and God. Yeah, he's, he's frustrated because he has not addressed these issues with his father. Uh, these are issues that when we get to later on in the text, we'll see he's been sitting on these issues for a long time. He, he has not addressed these issues, and so now he's frustrated with his father. And the Bible says that the father came out and was pleading with him, but he wouldn't go in. Yeah. This means that frustration will cause us to live in rebellion. Deciding to remain outside when the Father is calling us to come inside. Yeah. Because if we'd be honest, many of us hear God calling us to come inside, to come back uh, inside, to come to worship, and come back into service, into giving. But we're choosing to stay outside. And many of us have tried to blame it on this pandemic. But the, real, the reality is the pandemic gave us an excuse. But the truth is we've stayed outside because we're frustrated with God. We found out that maybe life is not so bad if we don't do all the things that we've been doing. Maybe our world won't fall apart if we stop going to church. Maybe things won't be so bad if we stop doing the things that we've been doing. And really, I deserve a break because I've been faithful when everybody else wasn't faithful. When everybody else was walking away, I stayed. When everybody else stopped, I kept going. When everyone else stopped, uh, started complaining about the distance and the drive and, and how they might get sick and all this other stuff, had all these excuses, I kept going, and now it's my time to take a break because I'm frustrated. Because what has all this gotten me anyway? What, what, what has all of this service, all of this praying, and all of this faithfulness, what has it really gotten me? It hasn't gotten me anything. And many of us don't want to be honest, but the truth is we're frustrated with God. And we don't really want to talk to God about our frustration uh, because deep on the inside, we know that we really don't have the right to be mad like we are, so we just sit on it. How many of y'all understand that sometimes your hesitance to approach God about a thing is the Holy Spirit helping you? So sometimes the reason why you won't, and this is with people too, I tell people this all the time, sometimes the reason why you don't want to have a conversation or you avoid having a conversation is because you know what you need to say and the results of what you need to say aren't what you want to say and what you want to see happen. So you avoid it. And many times your hesitation to have a conversation is a sign that you don't need to be having it. Because if God, gave, if God tells you to do something, he will do what? He'll give you a release and he will give you peace. If you don't have release and peace, then it's probably not God. And sometimes your hesitation to have that conversation is God telling you through, by way of the Holy Spirit, hey, you probably should chill. Yeah, that God is trying to help you be like Job. What did the Bible say about Job? If you read the story of Job... What was God's compliment to Job? He says, in all of these things, Job did not what? Charge God falsely. 
the NASB says, accuse God of wrongdoing. And all of what he went through, Job never said, God, you picking on me. He kept his faith in God while people were watching. Job might have thought that in his heart. But while his people were around him watching, he never did anything to blame his situation on God. And sometimes God won't let you say some stuff. He won't let you complain about some stuff. He won't give you the courage to address some stuff, even in your prayer time. Because the truth of the matter is, when you really begin to look at yourself and look at your life and look at what you deserve, God has been better to you than you deserve anyway. And I know a lot of us say amen to that, but we really don't believe that. Because if you really believed that God had given you more than you deserve, you wouldn't ask for as much as you do. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the truth of the matter is simply this. I, I, I know uh, that my kids are entitled because of how often they ask. My, my children feel like they have a need and it is my responsibility to, need, to meet that need. Because they feel like it is my responsibility to meet their need every time they see me, even if it's, even if it's preceded by a, hey, daddy, how you doing? They got real good about that now. Uh, they don't just come in the room and ask for stuff. Hey, daddy, how's you doing? My son even asked me, daddy, how was your day today? And then eventually after that, at some point, I know that a request is coming because my children are entitled. They feel like they have a need and they deserve for their needs to be met. It is not until they get much older and they've had to meet their own needs that they'll understand how difficult need meeting is and they will develop gratefulness for what their parents have done for them because they've had to do it for themselves. And they say, my God, my daddy did this for 20 years, 21 years. He took care of me like this because they understand it. Us as believers, we should be mature enough to understand that we don't don't deserve anything from God and so when God does anything for us we should be grateful for everything because he doesn't deserve we don't deserve for him to give us anything yeah we 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 we, we get frustrated because we think we deserve something from God that we really don't deserve and this is the place where I'm trying to get us uh, uh, as believers uh, not just here but all over the body of Christ we got to stop just saying stuff this is the problem uh, with this church age and with uh, our, our era of talking heads influencers and all of that uh, here's the problem we've become experts in saying the right thing but doing the wrong thing yeah, we've, we've become experts at putting on the best face, making the right posts, looking happy, but then behind closed doors, living raggedy, being upset, uh, being overwhelmed in depression, but we've become experts at saying the right thing. And this even goes into our relationship with God. We, we, we say the right things about God. We can say amen at the right time. Like I can say something like what I just said. We don't deserve anything, so we should be thankful for everything. Ooh, amen. But then when you go home, you still pray and behave and are depressed like God is doing you wrong and you deserve more from life than what God is actually giving you. But frustration is alleviated when you understand that everything you have is a blessing. 
This is what Paul says. Paul doesn't say that God blessed me and I became content. Paul does not say that God gave me more money and I became content. Paul doesn't say God blew up my personal endeavors and gave me the right spouse and gave me a nice car to drive and I became content. What does Paul say? Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I'm in, to be content. How do you learn it? By practicing contentment in every situation. Paul understood that because God did not owe him anything, no matter where he was, he could be grateful. But many of us are frustrated because deep down we feel like God should do something for us that he ain't doing. And the ultimate goal of the enemy is to get you to abandon your relationship with God because you're frustrated. <sighs> uh, yeah, abandon your relationship with God. Um, this is what we have to understand about this, uh, this particular church age, right? It is possible. And I want to say this, I want, and the reason why it would preach better, Krishana, if I said it in the reverse way of what I'm about to say it, but it is more clear if I say it this way. And for the sake of clarity, I'm going to say it this way, and I really hope that y'all understand this when I say this. It is completely possible, right, to know all the Bible verses, come to church every Sunday, give your tithes regularly, say amen to the preacher, and be lost it is totally possible as a matter of fact some people do those things thinking that it prevents them from being lost when in actuality they're lost right you can do all of the right things all the time and not be right with God but conversely it is impossible to be right with God and to habitually neglect to do the right things. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's possible to come to church every Sunday and not be saved. Point. But it is impossible to be saved and regularly neglect corporate worship. It's impossible. And I got Bible for that. That's not my opinion. That's what the word of God says. You cannot habitually neglect the gathering of the saints. And this is not your personal gathering unless you are a pastor or a church unto yourself. If that's what you decide to do, plenty of people are doing a house church thing, go ahead and do it. But whatever assembly you are a part of, when that assembly gathers, if you habitually neglect that gathering, it is impossible to be right with God. It is impossible to be right with God and to hear God say, love your neighbor, and you say, I'm going to cuss him out anyhow. It is, it is impossible to be right with God and to habitually deny the commands of God. And many of us don't understand that our behavior shows where we are with God. It shows how close you are with God. And the text bears that out because the son did the crazier stuff because he was farther away from the father. He was lost he was farther away. The older brother didn't tip out, didn't trip, didn't drink, didn't sneak no girls into the crib so far as the text lets us know. He stayed closer to the father, but he was lost. Both of them were lost, but one was closer to God than the other. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah. Proximity is, is demonstrated by your adherence 
So the younger son was really lost. But he was lost. The older brother was lost, but he was closer. Do you hear what I'm saying? He was still doing all of his responsibilities. He was still coming and showing up to work every morning. He was still uh, managing his father's household affairs the way the older son is supposed to. He was still doing what he was supposed to do, but his heart wasn't right. And he was lost. And his heart wasn't right because it was, he was frustrated. Yeah. And frustration will trick us you hear, you hear the text say that the father is beckoning him to come inside. The brother refuses to come outside, so the father comes out and pleads with him to try to get him to come inside. And the truth is frustration, the devil will use frustration to get you to think that life is better outside when God is inviting you inside. Frustration will make you think that it's better this way. I got more time. I got more money now, got more peace in my house, not dealing with as much because I stepped away from the father. But here's the beauty of the text. Here it is. But, but the, the beauty of the text is the son is outside. He refuses to come in. His frustration and his stubbornness keeps him from coming in the house to the father. But even though he won't come inside to the father, the father is kind enough to come outside to him. And some of us need to understand that that's why we're here. Because when we did not have enough sense to come into God and heard God calling, God came out and began pleading with us. He should have came out and cussed the son out for being disobedient. How are you going to have an attitude in my house? You don't pay not one bill around here. But instead, the father came out with love and began pleading with him to come inside. And some of us need to celebrate because we were too crazy to come to God, but God came to us. God help me. I know uh, that it's not Christmas yet, but that's really why we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Christmas uh, because that means God came. God helped me. And when God came, he fixed everything uh, that was wrong with me, that was preventing me from coming to him. When God came, he gave me the ability to come to him. God helped me. I didn't choose him. He chose me first. I didn't love him, but he first loved me. God came to the son. Yeah. Yeah, but we know he was frustrated. Uh, oh, my time's gone. Uh, we know he was frustrated. Because his faithfulness, uh, because his father was calling him inside, excuse me, but he refused to come inside. He stayed outside. And we know that he's frustrated too, check this out, because his faithfulness to the father became a source of his frustration with the father. Let me say that again. His faithfulness to the father became a source of his frustration with the father. Look at verse 29. But he answered to his father and said, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. Look, he says, for so many years. So many. Yeah, so many. When you add that so in there, that means I'm putting emphasis on the length of time. Anytime you see so in the Bible, it is to add emphasis. The Bible says, for God, what? So loved the world. Yeah. 
I heard a preacher the other day ask when he was talking about that. He said, you ever been so tired? You ever been so frustrated? You ever been so depressed? Yeah. He says, I've served you for so many years. And I've never neglected a command of yours. Check this out. Here it is. And yet you've never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Yeah. The son addresses the length of time. Hear me. Because he believes that his length of service entitles him to some measure of frustration. The son believes that because of how long he's been around, that that entitles him to be frustrated. Because I've served longer and harder than everybody else. Because I've been here longer, given more, worked harder than everybody else. I got a bone to pick with you, daddy. But the reality is, the son was frustrated because his motives in serving were misguided. He wanted the wrong thing. How do you know that, Bishop? Because he says, I've served, I've been faithful, I've been obedient, the B-Clause says, and yet you've never given me a young goat so that I can celebrate with my friends. The older son was, was working so that he could receive things from the father when he should have been working so that he could be refined by the father. Yeah. He should have been working so that the father could make him better. Which means that although they manifested in different ways, both sons struggled from the same issue. They wanted God, to, the father, to give them something when in actuality it is the father's job to teach them something. And even though the older brother remained in the house, he still had much to learn because he was still chasing goats and parties. God help me. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was chasing goats and parties. He, he still wanted affirmation. And how many of us are serving God, but we're serving God for goats and parties? We, we, we want God to give us something, not so that we can fulfill his purpose for our lives or so that we can come, become more useful servants. We want God to give us something so that we can show it to other people and they can say that we're blessed instead of resting in the Father's love and knowing that we're blessed. You want a goat and you want to throw a party so that you can do what your younger brother at least had the courage to leave the father's house and do. He flaunted his wealth outside the father's house, but deep on the inside you wanted to do the same stuff. That's why you're mad that he didn't give you a goat in a party. And many of us are not upset because God hasn't done anything for us. We're upset because God hasn't done anything for us that other people can see and celebrate. We're not excited about personal growth. We don't get excited about personal maturity. We don't get excited about the things that God does behind closed doors that prevents us uh, from, uh, that, that, that keeps us rather uh, humble and holy and, 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 and connected to him. We're not excited about those things. We want God to give us something that we can show off. We want goats and parties. And the truth is, we'll always find ourselves frustrated with our faithfulness to God when we misunderstand the purpose of our labor. Let me say that again. We'll always find ourselves frustrated with our faithfulness to God when we misunderstand the purpose of our labor. Yeah. The father didn't send the son into the field to increase his own wealth. 
It was more important than that. The younger son was going to receive a monetary inheritance anyway because he was the younger brother. But it was the older brother's destiny to not just receive a monetary inheritance, but to receive the estate itself, which also included the business that was responsible for making the money that made up their inheritance. So when the father sends the older son into the field to work, he's doing it not so the son can make more money. He's doing it so that the older son can learn the business so that he can be prepared to manage his inheritance. And sometimes we forget that when we serve God or we do things in the house of God, we're not doing it to help God. Yeah. Uh, but God is helping us by allowing us to serve in his kingdom because it is his service, our service in the kingdom that prepares us for success in life. And I know that you're frustrated. I know that you're upset. I know that you're tired, but never get you to the place where you feel like you're helping God by showing up. You're not doing God a favor. You're not even doing the church a favor. I, I used to listen. I, was, I, I, I listened to... Um, uh, this thing called hymn choirs, and hymn choirs are real uh, popular in the Carolinas. Uh, they, they used to be called slave choirs um, because they took the songs uh, once slavery had been abolished uh, and it was no longer proper to send groups of people out into the field and whip them and make them sing while they worked. Uh, they brought those slaves together in white churches and had them sing their slave songs. And from that came hymn choirs in the South. And I listen to hymn choirs, man. I don't know what it is. It's something about it that just does something to me. But every now and then I'll come across a crazy song that the hymn choirs will sing. You know, uh, they, they sing this song, my church show gonna miss me when I'm gone, when I'm gone. My church show gonna miss me when I'm gone. They gonna miss my tithing hand. They gonna miss my hallelujah. My church show gonna miss me when I'm gone. And that's one of the craziest songs that I've ever heard because it implies that you are doing something to be missed. Many of us, this, this is the problem with our improper view of grace and how it shaped our theology, right? Um, we feel like because God takes us at our worst and he accepts us when we don't do right, that when we do right, it is something that is to be celebrated, right? When other faiths, even other Abrahamic faiths like Islam and Judaism, uh, they consider obedience as the ground level. That's requisite. You can't even be a part of this if you're not obedient. But for us as Christians, if we do one thing right, then we feel like that gives us a spiritual leg up over everybody else that doesn't do that thing, makes us feel like we're more Christian or better Christians than other people, when in actuality, that attitude is really showing how far away from the Father you really are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when you feel like you deserve something because of what you've done or that you're doing the church a favor because of what you've done or worse, you're doing God a favor because of what, you're done, what you've done. You are in a dangerous position because now God has to humble you. Yeah. Do you hear what I'm saying? So then the son is frustrated because of his faithfulness with the father and our service in the kingdom 
is what sets us up for success in life. Just like the son's labor in the field prepared him to run the father's business. Our service in God's kingdom is what sets us up for success in life. But the problem is many of us won't stay faithful long enough to be properly prepared for the life that God is calling us to. Because Satan wants to use fear and frustration to cause us to abandon the work that God has designed to prepare us for our purpose. Satan can't abort your destiny. He can't sabotage it. He can't cancel it. If God has a calling and a purpose for your life or since God has a calling and a purpose for your life, there is nothing that the devil can do to defeat it. But what he will try to do is he will try to use frustration and fear to keep you out of the purpose of God because you'll abandon what God wants to do in your life. Everybody say frustration. Everybody say fear. Yeah, frustration happens because we're tired of watching other people, some seemingly less deserving than we, get their parties. I'm frustrated because I'm tired of watching God throw parties for other people when I've been here and I feel like I deserve to have a party thrown for me. That will frustrate you. But not only will it frustrate you, it will send you into fear because we're afraid that after all we've done, after all of our faithfulness, we'll never get a party of our own. We're afraid that in order for us to get what other people are getting, we got to do something stupid. We got to try to make it happen for ourselves. Fear and frustration. Do you hear what I'm saying? And so we see the son's condition. First of all, the son is lost. But we see the cause of the son's condition. The son is frustrated. But then thirdly, and I'm done, we see the cure for the son's condition. And that's a conversation with the father. When he has a conversation with his father, that is the cure for his frustration. Because it has been said that frustration ends when communication begins. And this is true even in sex because instead of matching the son's energy and becoming angry with him, the Bible says that the father comes outside to have a conversation with his son because the father understands that the only thing that can cure frustration is revelation. The only thing that can fix frustration is revelation. And in seasons of grief, doubt, and frustration, we need a revelation. We need a word from God that can speak directly to our lives. That's why we have to be careful what we allow to keep us out of church. Because you might think that you're battling some fatigue on Sunday morning. But the reality is that that's the devil fighting you to keep you from hearing from your father so that you can die in your frustration. But we have to decide that we're not going to be frustrated and die but we're going to get a word and live. Yeah. So, so what does the father say? What does the father say to address the frustration? Two things. Number one, he reminds the son of his blessed position. He, he reminds the son of his blessed position. What does he say? He says, son, verse 31, you have always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. This is his blessed position. The older son was upset because the father threw the younger son a party. But the older son didn't understand that the reason why the younger son had to have a party thrown for him is because he had wasted his resources and no longer had the ability to throw a party for himself. 
But the father reminds the son, you're mad because you're waiting for me to give you something when the reality is you have the authority to do it for yourself. God help me. Yeah, slaves need a special reason and permission to celebrate. But sons are able to have a party just because they want to. And there are many Christians who feel like they can't praise God unless they have some special reason. But then there are others who don't need a special reason. They just wake up with a want to. And because I want to and I'm a son, I can throw a party for myself. I don't need a special reason to celebrate. I've got access and I've got authority. Do you hear what I'm saying? The older brother was upset. Because the father did not give him a goat or throw him a party. But the father reveals to him that because he stayed under the father's roof, he had access to the father's resources. And he could have gotten a goat or a cow or whatever he wanted and threw himself a party whenever he wanted to. This means, hear me clearly, when I'm connected to the father, I don't have to wait for him to fix my frustration. But he's given me the power to fix it for myself. This is how frustration messes up relationship because it clouds your perspective. The son is upset because he wanted the father to give him something, but because of his frustration, he didn't understand that I don't have to wait for him to give me anything. He's already given me the authority that I need. And this is apropos to your own life. You're waiting for some preacher, some prophet to prophesy to you, to give you a word, to call that devil out of your situation. But God says if you're connected to the father properly, then you have the ability to do that thing yourself. What the son was frustrated about, the father had already given him the power to fix. And some of us are just sitting up frustrated and when God has given us the authority to fix our own problem. Yeah. And then, but then this is the most important part. The son could have thrown his own party at any time. This is what the father says, verse 31. He could have thrown his own party at any time. And the fact that the son could have thrown his own party also fixes his need for the affirmation of others. Remember, he said, I'm mad because you won't let me have a goat to throw a party with my friends. That shows that he was trying to have a party for affirmation. He wanted to do what his younger brother did. He wanted to impress people with the father's wealth. But the fact that you have the ability at any time to throw your own party means that you don't need the affirmation of people. Because the son doesn't need, didn't need other people to celebrate him. Because of this connection to the father, he was able to celebrate himself. When you have a clear connection with God, God gives you affirmation. And you are able then to celebrate yourself. You don't need nobody to throw a party for you. You don't need anyone uh, to be happy for your accomplishments. Although you desire that and it would be nice if it happened, when you got a clear and connect, a consistent connection with the Father, you are able to understand that I'm something to be excited about. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I have value. I have purpose and I have destiny. But not only does he remind his son of the blessed position, Secondly, and I'm done, he reminds his son of his blessed opportunity. He has a blessed opportunity. Verse 32 says, but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live again. He was lost and has been found. The father takes the time to remind the son that he's in a blessed position because he remained in the father's house. But he also takes the time to remind him 
that he has a blessed opportunity. And that blessed opportunity is the opportunity to join in celebration with someone else. To celebrate with his younger brother. Yeah. The son was frustrated and wanted to have a party of his own. Didn't want to come into the house, but the father calls him into the house and reminded him that if that he wasn't coming into the house to celebrate for himself. He wasn't coming into the house because it was about him. He was coming into the house for his younger brother. And while many of us have faltered in our faithfulness to corporate worship, because we found that not coming to church frees up time, frees up money. We don't use as much gas. We don't have to struggle with our kids. We can get more rest. But we've forgotten that corporate worship is not about us. And the test for the believer is can you be faithful to it when it doesn't seem to be fruitful for you? When it doesn't seem to be benefiting you. Yeah, you can come when the experience is great and worship got you on your knees and the word hit you right in the face and the spirit is moving and you're blessed and you were blessed by the word and you're blessed by the worship and your kids love it and everybody happy. But can you do it when it's not blessing you? When it's not helping you emotionally. When the songs ain't hitting right. When it's more tedious for you to get up now. Because you got so much going on through the week. Can you be faithful to it when it's not fruitful to you? That's the test. Are you able to obey God and come into the party to show up to worship and encourage others to do the same, even when it seems like this party isn't for you? Have you been delivered from selfishness? Father, in his statement to the older brother, gives him two reasons to celebrate, even though it's not his party. He said, first of all, you need to celebrate, son, because it's not about you. He says, this celebration is for the younger brother, and we can ruin God's party by choosing not to celebrate over who those, whom, those whom God has redeemed. We often make this choice because we're no longer excited about what God has done. We get to a place where we become so familiar with the mercies of God, what God has done in our life becomes so common that when we see God moving, we don't even get excited about it anymore because we've gotten so familiar with God moving. But God gets excited when lost children come home. And this is a season where Christians are going to have to be able to celebrate in situations and in seasons where it may not feel fresh, but we have to develop the attitude that if God is happy, then I'm happy. Many of us don't understand that. That's what it really means biblically for God to give you the desires of your heart. Does not mean that God is going to make your dreams come true, beloved. When God gives you the desires of your heart, that means that God is giving you something uh, or he is dictating to you, rather, the things that you should want. He is literally giving you what your heart should want. And many of us uh, aren't mature enough to, ex to be excited about what God is excited about because we're still concerned about what we want. You hear what I'm saying? But God says, uh, you got to celebrate at this party because this party is not about you. 
And you don't want your lack of celebration, hear me, to cause somebody to stumble. You, you don't want your attitude, your, 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 your facial expressions, the fact that you can't get an argument that you had with your spouse off of you before you come in. You, you don't want what you don't do to frustrate and hinder somebody else. So God says you got to get it together and remember that it's not about your feelings. It's not about you being tired. It's not about you being frustrated. This is not about you. He says celebrate, number one, because this party is not about you. But not only does he say celebrate because this party is not about you, he tells them celebrate because this party is not about you. He <laughs> says first you need to celebrate because it's not about you. But then he says secondly you need to celebrate because it's not about you. But it could have been. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're celebrating. Check this out. I want you to get this. They're celebrating because the younger brother has just come back home from a gruesome, heart-wrenching, horrible experience. God had to take him through the ringer. He had a horror story testimony. You know them people uh, where you give them the mic and testimony service and you think they're going to just thank God for their life, health, and strength and they tell you about how they was on the corner doing crack and how they got shot eight times and you weren't expecting all that. You're like, whoa, whoa, brother, we only got five minutes for testimony service. Calm down. But, 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 but the brother, the younger brother, that's that person. You know the person that come into church and... Uh, they look like they don't even belong there. It's the thug. He still got a rag hanging out his pocket. Still smell like some weed. He come in, but he tearing the church up, praising God because he's delivering. That's the younger brother. Older brother can't really relate because he stayed with the father. But I believe that the older brother, God, I believe that the father wanted the older brother to come into the party so that he could hear everything that his younger brother went through. And he could be thinking about how I got the same issues in me, how I wanted my father to give me something instead of teach me something, how I wanted to celebrate with my friends and show off my wealth, how all of those things that were in him that caused him to leave the house remained in me even though I was still at the father's house and because uh, all of those things happened to him and they didn't happen to me, the son is able now to give God praise because it wasn't his party. And some of us need to understand that, that just like the, the older brother heard the younger brother's story and it caused him to be convicted because he knew that the same pride and the same arrogance that made his younger brother leave the house is the same pride and the same arrogance that kept him mad outside when there was a party going on inside and when he realized that the same thing that caused his brother to end up in a pig pen should have destroyed his life too, maybe he began to celebrate. Not because God brought him through the same thing, but the older brother should shout because God kept him from it and he didn't have to bring him through it. And some of us hold back our praise because we ain't been through nothing that seems to be horrific or, or, or super emotional or real crazy. But some of us need to shout not because God brought us through it, but because God kept us from it. Because God didn't let us leave the house. Because God didn't let us destroy our lives. Because God didn't have to put us back together again. And anybody uh, that's lived long enough should develop, uh, uh, it could have been me praise. 
Yeah. Oh, uh, when I look at people's lives and I look at the things that happen, I'm overwhelmed with empathy and compassion for them. But on the inside, I'm also erupting with celebration because I understand that it could have been me. When you hear about people who uh, deal with sickness and deal with frustration and deal with all kinds of issues, you should not celebrate over them, but you should celebrate anyhow because God kept you from some stuff that he had to bring some other people through. He kept your life from being as bad as it could have been. And as bad as we deserve for it to be. The older brother needs to celebrate because thank God this is not my party. And you got to be determined in this season of your life that you're not going to ruin God's celebration. You're going to learn how to rejoice over what God has done in the lives of others. But it's impossible for us to rejoice over what God has done in the lives of others if we're ignorant to what God has done in our own lives. He says, son, remember, you're in a blessed position because you stayed in the house. So celebrate. He said, you're in a blessed, you have a blessed opportunity to celebrate with your brother. So come in the house. And this is a season where God is going to call us as a body to work and to serve and to do things, and it doesn't seem like we're going to get much out of it. It doesn't seem like we're going to be blessed by doing it. It's not going to be very lucrative monetarily, if lucrative at all. But the truth of the matter is we still have to do it because it's not about us. It's about the little brothers and sisters that God is bringing home. Do you understand? God says that's what I'm waiting for. And God says, I'm trying to prepare you to not be like the older brother. Because you're going to see people coming in and they're going to be excited. Their lives are going to be changed. They're going to be excited about the word. They're going to be excited about worship. They're not going to be tired like you. And you can't allow your fatigue to frustrate who God is sending back into the house. You hear what I'm saying? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are a holy God, you are righteous. And God, we apologize to you, God, for not celebrating the things that you celebrate. God, we apologize for not being happy over what you're happy about. Father, we give you glory because you are a good father and you did not treat us as our attitudes deserved. You didn't come out the house and go off on us. But God, you beckoned us to come inside. Thank you, even with our bad attitudes, God, with our negative perspectives, with our heavy hearts, God. I'm grateful to you that you still welcome us in. And you still draw us with loving kindness. So God, I pray that you give us the strength and the courage of the faith to trust you, to live out this word, to be happy about the things you're happy about, to stop serving you for goats and parties, to reject the spirit of entitlement, to remind ourselves every day, God, that no matter how much we've given, how much we've served, we're still in debt because Jesus gave his perfect life. And God, I pray that you cause us to really believe in you not in the God that we've created in our own minds, but God, I pray that you cause us to have an encounter with the real you. 
with the God of the Bible and that we come to know you in a true and intimate way and serve you in light of that revelation of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give God praise.